Welcome to the Golf Podcast Live. We are on episode 18, uh, brought to you by FanDuel, our partner coming in and affiliate partner for this week. I'm your host, Raphael Calamat, alongside Michael Bleakley in Vancouver. I'm in Toronto. We're going to talk about a lot today. We're going to talk about Farmers Insurance Open, a little bit of Torrey Pines, San Diego, top 10 things that are going on in the golf world, Champions Tour, LPGA, maybe some funny and embarrassing golf stories. But we, before we get started, we have a very special guest, two-time winner on the PGA Tour, winner at the Nissan Open, now the Genesis Open at Riviera, as well as the FedEx St. Jude Classic back in 2002. Most notably for our Canadian listeners, I know we're international now and getting most of our listeners and watchers in the U.S., but he finished second to Mr. Mike Weir. But it was an amazing tournament. All of us Canadians remember it. You're a household name. Our guest today, Mr. Len Matisse. Welcome to the show, Len. Thank you, guys. Hey, I'm happy to be on with you You guys, talk about some golf, and uh, looking forward to having some fun. Fantastic. We're so, we're so happy to have you on here. You know, before we get started, we do this with all our guests. We'd love for you to expand a little bit about your golf career for those viewers and listeners who have not uh, seen you play, but also those of you who know Len Matisse fairly well. Uh, your career started fairly early. Tell us about your start in golf, how you got involved with golf and where you are today in the sphere of golf. I, uh, I started playing golf when I was a little kid. Uh, I'd say about eight, nine, ten years old in the New York area, Long Island, New York, and that pretty much came from my dad, who was a, a very good amateur golfer on Long Island, and um, I just kind of grew from there. So I played some junior stuff there, and then I think to, to a lot to my benefit, my family moved from New York to Florida when I was in ninth grade, and that my my golf just kind of soared at that point in high school. And then kind of went up the ranks. I was number one junior golfer in Florida, went to Wake Forest, played college golf there, turned pro. And I had about a 12-year exempt career on uh, PGA Tour, and um, it was a great run. And where are you at now in terms of your game? I know you're, you have conditional status on the Champions Tour, and, and are you working on anything? And we expect to see you uh, this year on tour? I'm going to try and play as many champions events as I can get in. And I, I am conditional status. So with two wins right now, I I'm outside of the field. So I have to mm-hmm. do qualifying or get sponsor exemptions. That exempt uh, win number is about four or five. So okay. um, I, you know, my track most likely would be that I get in some tournaments, finish well, and then try and get about the top 55 on that money list. And if I get, if I get to that kind of category, then I'll get in most of the events uh, going forward at that point. And uh, that's fantastic. And maybe run us through your Monday qualifying experience, because I know Raf and I are both pushing 50, and it, it's kind of our pipe dream to go and <laughs> go and just see what happens out there. But uh, obviously, you're in a, we would run into players like you and a lot of ex-PGA players who are out there. So it's, it's pretty stiff competition, isn't it? Right. Well, for guys like you, you'd have to go for like a Thursday or Friday pre-qualifying nowadays. It's it's amazing. One step first. So um, that would be the pre the pre-qualifying would be on about a, a Friday before. Um, there'd be roughly about 60 players for only four spots. So those qualifiers then move into the Monday, and then that then you guys you would join players like myself. Uh, Paul Stankowski, guys that have kind of in that Willie Wood. I mean, these are the guys that I see a lot in these Monday qualifying guys that have um, either have 150 cuts on the PGA Tour to go into that Monday or have won once or twice or even three times on the on the PGA Tour combo champions tour. And then we all strive. There's about 70 guys in that qualifying field for four spots. And um, usually it takes about a 68, 69 score. Uh, which is doable because the courses aren't that hard, and then then you move into the tournament. So wow. it's a wow. you know you know you have to get to know the qualifying course, and uh, you, you know it's a it's a one day shootout. So you have to play well, and and then uh, if you're in, then you're in the champions event. I've played in twelve champions events, and I've made it through that about seven times. Wow, wow. that's that pretty qualifying. incredible. That's that's incredible. We spoke to Rob LeBritz about a month ago. 
and had the process he went through through qualifying to make it through q school and now finally making it out at the age of fifty never realizing his dream to actually play on tour being a club pro and how different that is to maintain your game with all the responsibility you have as a club pro in addition to trying to hold on to your game and being a club pro from the age of twenty all the way up to fifty years old and finally make it making it it was really a great viral emotional experience for him and it's, it's nice to see him going out and playing uh, out in Florida for the first event uh, at the end of February. Um, I'm, I'm going to just uh, go back to the Masters because everybody wants to know about that tournament and that experience that you had. Back in 1998, you went there for the first time as an amateur, then returning and playing so many times there. And, and you, that final round of 65 going seven under on the final day and having the playoff what are the things that you remember most from from that week? Because it must have been a, a pretty special week for you. It was. It was. It, it it was only my second time playing there. I played there as an amateur, um, which you alluded to in 1988, uh, coming out of Wake Forest University. Right. I got on the Walker Cup team, and then the following April got an invite to the Masters. So that was special. Missed the cut by about five, I think, uh, that week. Um, and had good years on the PGA Tour, but never quite hit that qualification to get invited to the Masters. So I was chomping at the bit when I got, uh, I had won twice the year before. I was on the top of my game and uh, very focused going into that week. Um, I had probably had made about four visits beforehand to go see the golf course and play like two days, uh, four different times before April. So I had a good idea of what was coming, you know, how to play the, the holes, how to play the course. That particular week, the course was really hard. Uh, as far as we had incredible amounts of rain on Wednesday and Thursday, where we had a rain out on Thursday. So it was a total washout and we didn't start the tournament until Friday. So the course was playing as long as it could play because of uh, it was just a hit and stop type, uh, you know, type distance. So um i shot 73 74 the first two rounds i was in about if i remember about 30th place something like that and nothing special but not bad and then it just got better you know it was um like the first two days were average i'd call and then the final two days were hot stuff i mean i shot three under on the third round and then shot seven under like you mentioned on sunday so i was 10 under in my last 36 at augusta um, going into that last day, I was about ninth place. If I remember five shots back of Mike Weir. Well, I think Mike was in second place. I think Jeff Maggart had the lead That's right. going into the last day. And I think I was five back. And I just, I figured it's the last day at Augusta. If, if we pretty much knew where the pins were going to be. And if I could have the round that I wanted to have, what would it be like? So there was a lot of visualization um, I had, I had, I had, a, I had a, a very good feel of the golf course. I was in command of my game and I kind of visualized how I would play that round and it kind of was coming through. It was coming true. I mean, it was the round that you would want to play at Augusta and it was happening. So it was really exciting for me that I was actually doing it. And, and I remember very clearly that I just had to stay out of my own way mm. and let things unfold yeah. and take advantage of a, a very good day. Well, let's, let's go back down to the eighth hole and you're in a tough spot and you, you hold it out for birdie. And then like, you know, how that must've felt amazing to, to oh, get that on was, that run and then go through the back nine that you had. And you got to realize, yeah, you got to realize that you're a household name here in Canada. Everybody's watched that Masters multiple times. Anybody who's in the industry anyways. I own the video at home, and I, like, I've seen it maybe a dozen times. So everything you're talking about, we're there with you. Like a, a different point of view from the outside in, right? You're, you're talking about it from the inside out, which is so unique. Well, yeah, I know a lot of it. Uh, pretty much every Canadian loves me. So when I go to Canada, I get free dinners. I get, you know, like everybody loves me and, and knows me. But I will say this. Before that Augusta, before the Masters, I never missed a Canadian Open. I thought the Canadian Open was, in my mind, you know, you had the four majors and then the Canadian Open, the Players' Championship, in my mind, was right there. Uh, and then the World Championship events were happening as well. So 
you know, going to Glen Abbey, going to Shaughnessy, if I remember, uh, was Shaughnessy, Shaughnessy might've been a PGA. Yeah, Royal Um, Montreal in 2001. Royal Montreal, Hamilton. mm -hmm. You were right at that peak point where we reached sort of the golden age of golf. And we're we're going through that right now with the resurgence. But you were sort of in in that area where there was an explosion in golf with the emergence of Tiger and sponsorship, and uh, you know players taking their games to another level. And you were right in the midst of it. You know, in two thousand two and yeah. three, your game was right so hot. You were doing so well. You you know on the money list. I think you finished in the top thirty on the money list in one of those years. And yeah. and um, so and did you go through an injury? Was there? I did. I had a, I had a serious, a serious ski injury, uh, the end of 03, which took me right to kind of wipe me right off. I had a double ACL tear, um, what kind of a, just a freak fall, you know, somebody in front of me fell and I didn't want to hit them. So I kind of veered off to the side and, and that was, that was, uh, severe. But when I went, the reason why I was saying that is when I went to the Canadian open, wherever it was, whether it was in Toronto or out West or, um, Let's see, we had, yeah, we had a couple of different sites in Toronto. The fans were the best. I mean, the fans were great because they, they, they really knew a lot about golf. Like they really appreciated golf shots and it was all, it was more about the golf event and, or the golf tournament instead of the event that was surrounding the golf. So I always had a lot of respect for going up there and trying to play my best. I never missed a Canadian open. And when we played Glen Abbey in the fall, those were good times. I mean, those were that September day to Glen Abbey. There was nothing like it. I mean, I'm, I'm, you're talking 50 to 70,000 fans on the weekend uh, that would come out and watch Glen Abbey. So those were great times. And um, I was there. I was covering. Just, I was covering the event for uh, CJD 800 AM and West Island Golf Media. I, I was there. I remember I those days. They were it. incredible. Loved it. And I'm a, I'm a kind of a history, you know golf nerd i guess so you know the fact that like uh you know all the great players would want to go play and win the canadian open and if i remember right nicholas i think nicholas had six seconds That's i don't right. think he exactly i don't think that. he ever won a canadian open yeah, he, he, he won telling, a canadian. he kept on telling his wife he wants to go back he needs to get that one under his belt it's been lingering for so long right so everybody from yeah norman to weiskopf have already you know so many people yeah. just grabbed it from him well, that's right. the Triple Crown. If you remember the year Tiger uh, won uh, the Canadian Open and that famous shot out of the bunker uh, on 18, right. he wasn't intending on playing, if I recall that correctly, but he heard that, that winning those three tournaments, uh, the British, the U.S., uh, and the Canadian Opens, the Triple Crown, and he came up and did it. And yeah, he did. And he I, just... I remember, like, because Grant Waite's a friend of mine, and, and he and Grant were, were head-to-head. Their last group, uh, they, yeah. They were out. They were they were beating the whole field by at least five or six shots or something. They just they went like they were like 23 under each, and that was a duel. Uh, those last six holes between them and and the tiger hit that shot out of the bunker, it was incredible. So, um, but yeah, I, I I love that. I love I love that that whole Glen Abbey aspect, and then we bounced around to different uh, different places as well. So um, it was always great for me to go to Canada, and then lo and behold, you know, for the the Masters. You know, Weirsy played great uh, on Sunday. He played real steady, and and he ended up making that seven footer on the last hole uh, to tie me. So we went into the playoff, and you know, um, I would have definitely wanted a different outcome, but <laughs> it was a fantastic week for me. You know, I mean, you know, like I I I when I talk about it, I talk about it being a ninety eight percent success. Absolutely. Because you shoot, I shot seven under par for the four rounds finish second you'd like to win in a playoff of course you would but you know you know someone's going to win someone's going to lose and uh uh, it was a it was a great it was a great time and i had some family members there there that were that were there watching and uh very special that they were there to be able to you know take it in with me you know my brother bob i mean it's a funny story my brother bob said hey hey i'd love to go watch do you have a ticket for thursday or friday um and he had to take off work thursday or friday and i knew kind of he didn't have to say it but i knew what he was saying that if you miss the cut at least i get to see you one day you know that before you miss the cut you know he didn't have to say it but i knew what he was there so i'm like yeah bob i got you a ticket for thursday no problem and then he had such a good time thursday he asked for friday 
And then he's like, well, you made the cut. So can I hang around? Can I watch Saturday? And I'm like, you bet you can. And then he's like, you shot three under your, you know, can I watch Sunday? You got a ticket for Sunday. And I'm like, absolutely. So he watched me every shot for every round. And when I finished that, uh, that hole on 18 and, you know, ended, I, I bogeyed 18, but when I finished, he was the first one that I saw and it was very emotional. You know, like you see the guys walking off 18 and whether it's tiger's dad or the player's wife or whatever, whoever it is, it's a very emotional thing uh, when you've had success because you just want to share it with people that you love. And he was there and it was just a, it was a very, very strong time. Very, very strong moment for us. I think we can all learn from your perspective of that. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say, Hey, I lost the masters, but I believe your quote was, I, I missed winning by one shot and might be paraphrasing a little bit there, but you, you have a great perspective on, on what happened because any other golfer in the planet would, would trade their uh, right pinky for a second place finish at the masters and, and to go down in a historic battle like that, uh, at least in Canada, like everyone up here really appreciates that battle. And, and we can all respect uh, what you did to get there, which was just a, an amazing contention. Well, it's yeah, amazing. You, you definitely, you, you would definitely like to win, you know, you, I mean, obviously that's why we're all there is to get in that moment. You'd like to win and you give it your best shot. So uh, I think the perspective is very important. You know, like if you, uh, w whatever you take away needs to be very important, you know, like, you know, like not, not an unbalanced perspective, right? Because that could drive you crazy. I mean, you know, you know, a, a guy we we've seen it at Augusta, someone winning, leading by five shots and loses. Yes. Yeah. You know, Norman Faldo. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it, it could drive you mad if you, don't have a balanced perspective on what's actually happening. When we play in every tournament, you know, we tee it up and nobody puts a gun to our head to have to go play. So we take the good with the bad. We take a miscut with, we take a first place if we were able to do it and, you know, and everything in between. And that's the way it goes. As far as touring professionals, only the 1% of 1%, if that, could actually say they even played in the Masters. I find that's an, an accomplishment in itself. To make the cut and then to contend and be a finalist is just a whole nother level. Um, but your career goes back to what you said. You went in Florida in 1984. You were a high school champion in 1986, Wake Forest. What was that like? At Wake Forest, you had your team. I think Billy Andre was on your team. Uh, who right. else was on your team and uh, you guys were NCAA champions? We were, we were team champions and it's kind of special the way it happened. Billy is on my team and Billy's had a long PGA tour and champion tour career. A, a player who actually played better than Billy that year was a guy named Chris Kite. He was first team All-American. He finished second in the uh, scoring average for the year in the national scoring average behind Verplank. Um, so we had Chris and Billy and then myself and Tim Straub, who was a, he was a all world junior golfer. And now he's a coach at Davidson college. And then we had uh, Barry Fabian who came out of Columbus, Georgia at Amir field. So we had a very strong five and we competed all year against Oklahoma state. I mean, we were one and two ranked and we were knocking heads with Oklahoma state throughout the year at different tournaments. And sure enough, I mean, you know, the last day we ended up, we ended up coming back the last day. It was a huge comeback. We won by four over Oklahoma state, Scott Verplank won the individual, but we won the team. And, uh, it was a little sweeter beating Oklahoma state because we were knocking heads all year. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. One winning thing, uh, winning that team championship is one of the most special things I've had because like you guys are saying, you know, with pros playing at Augusta, there's just, not many that 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 do play Augusta that do play the Masters you know how however many college players there are you know um not everybody can win a national championship so um we were really you know fortunate to win that coming from we were 16 back going into the last day and we beat them by 20 so we had everybody came everybody came wow. together and Oklahoma State kind of helped us with not them not playing as well as they could have and then the next year we finished second. So uh, those were our best finishes in college. Yeah, that's very cool. The um, 
One thing that, that I noticed when doing a little research on you, which was intriguing, and it makes me think back to the beginning days of the Golf Channel and seeing Jim McLean as one of the top uh, instructors out there. And, and you were lucky to work with him for 15 years. Is that I right? I sure have. Yeah. I, I still, what was that I, like? I still do some stuff with him now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it was great with Jim. Jim has a great connection of kind of the link from the past. You know, guys mm -hmm. like uh, Jackie Burke and yeah. Ken Venturi. Byron Nelson and Jim made it a point to not only get lessons and a lot of information from them, but also other coaches, you know, coaches like Bobby Knight, John Wooden, Jim would spend time going to see these coaches and see why these coaches are so successful. So not only was Jim great, what I would call like instruction, instruction stuff, but, but even better coaching, you know, so, so, it's so much more than just kind of getting a club in a certain position. So Jim had me go see other coaches, go kind of uh, have myself mature in, in other ways and going to, to meet other people, getting other types of lessons as well. And uh, it was a, it was a great thing. I, I'd see Jim probably four or five times in a year. Um, and he was stationed down at Miami uh, for, forever. So yeah, yeah, down at, down at Doral. And now he's at the Biltmore down there in Miami. So um, he's still doing his golf schools and lessons and he's staying as busy as ever. And uh, we're great friends. Uh, you know, we've, we've become great friends just because of all the time that um, we put together. Wow. And, and you're a Q school graduate in 1992 and in 1995. You know, that process is extremely difficult. You know, for those listening and watching, you know, we've got, I've gone through Q school processes or I've had to shoot in a number to get my card or do things of that nature, but nothing compared to the grind of preparation and then the marathon of golf you need to play over six days or more, depending on weather. You know, tell us, about, tell us about your experience, the difficulty and the fact that they don't have it anymore. Should there still be maybe five spots available for that elusive dream? I know the stats aren't there for people who qualify actually hold on to their card, but that's what makes golf so unique in my perspective. But what, tell us about your experience and what you think about Q school and your experiences there. I, I look back at that Q school. Um, it was a grind. And, and, you know, what you mentioned, six rounds of golf, that's only at the finals, you know, and I had to get to the finals. So yeah. uh, the, the first stage was a four day qualifying somewhere around the country. I went to Tennessee and, you know, it's basically 80 guys for 20 spots. So when I made it through that, I go to the second stage. And then I went to Alabama, uh, Mobile. And same thing, 80 players, 18 spots, 18 ties. And then those 18, along with other sectional sites, go to the finals. My finals in 95 was in Houston at the TPC Woodlands. So I knew it was all going to come. I mean, that last nine at the Woodlands there, um, seven out of nine holes or have water on it, you know, and the other holes are tight. So I knew, you know, six rounds of golf, most likely it's going to come down to that last nine, you know, and how you're going to do it. And, and it's six rounds. So we played four rounds on that course and then two rounds on, a, on another course called the Woodlands North course. The weather was 58 degrees. It was damp. It was cold. Oh. Now it's six rounds of golf, three practice rounds. You're there an extra day beforehand. You're there for a 10-day stint early December. Oof. And at that time, the top 50 in ties out of 200 would qualify the PGA Tour the next year. So extreme pressure, very tense, and with nine holes to go. So after I played like, I don't know, like whatever, 95 holes or something. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, 99 holes. <laughs> I I was on the bubble. You know, I ended up shooting one under on that back nine and made it by one shot. Wow. So I got the... my card a second, second time. So I, I made a four footer on the last hole uh, for par and um, finished like in that tied for 45th category and got my card and just drove right back to uh, <laughs> Jacksonville, Florida. You know, like yeah. I didn't care what time it was. I wasn't stopping because mission accomplished. And that year, that 96 year for me, um, I had a few top tens, I think, uh, kept my card and then just slowly kind of progressed up the up the chain to eventually win in 2002 and then, you know, finish second at Augusta in 03.
Yeah, you had a great year, uh, a couple of years in that stretch, which was great. I, I remember watching the Nissan Open, and uh, th- it was pretty exciting. And uh, you're quite emotional after it, which was cool to see because a lot of players uh, can be quite robotic with the answers, uh, you know, in the press tent uh, or post-round interviews. And uh, it was really just cool to see how much you cared. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think uh, you don't see that often anymore. Yeah, there's a lot to be said over the fact that, you know, you've you played quite a few professional events. You had 220 starts before you got that first initial win. So I think, uh, you know, uh, that's a lot of starts. And sometimes there's there's a lot of pros who've gone their whole career that don't even get a win in. And they never really get acknowledged for their accomplishments in sports, right? So it's, it's pretty amazing even just to get a win, two wins, and, and to have a runner-up at a major. Uh, is uh, is great and n- number of top tens. Yeah, I, I guess I persevered, you know, because when I, I I first got my tour card in ninety, went through that qualifying school in ninety two. First year on PJ Tour, I finished like one sixty, didn't make it back to that qualifying school, was kind of in no man's land for about two years, and then I just kind of kept going. So when I made it through that Q school. Um, I felt like I had a good team. I had a, you know, I had, I had solid family and I I had, uh, I I was gaining my skills. Jim McLean was helping me. I had Fran Pirazzolo, who is a a great sports psychologist out of Houston. Um, He helped me a lot. So I had a very, you know, solid team with me and I was just going up the ranks and I, I finished like one tenth on the money list and then 90th and then 75th and, and uh, just kind of slowly creeping up. So it, they were successful years, even though I wasn't winning and I had chances to win. I, you know, I had some top tens along the way, but then that Oh two year, something just clicked. And I, I knew it was happening the fall before, like my fall of uh, 2001 was good. And then a couple events in Oh uh, two early were good. And I just knew that I was just somehow a better golfer. I can't, you can't explain it. If, if you could, everybody could do it, I guess. And then I won at Riviera and I had not had good history at Riviera. I hadn't, I don't think I finished better than 25th in a tournament there. Um, but, uh, the week before I was in Jacksonville, sick as a dog, I had the flu bug. So when I went out to Riviera, I was very weak, no expectations. I knew that I played good tournaments, but I, I, I probably lost 10 pounds in, in the week before wow. and um, had a good practice round. I remember like it was yesterday. I played with Paul Azinger in a practice round and it was really good. I uh, had a good time, fun time and all that. And and uh, I putted lights out the whole week. I mean, I had, you know, how they count putts in a day, like the total feet number of putts. I had two days that were over 180 feet of putts that were made. Wow. So just you know, that's like record for me, you know, and I did it twice. So I putted great. And, um, if I remember I shot uh, 14 under, uh, I believe 14 under for the four rounds and yeah. one by one over Scott McCarron. Yes, you did. Mike and I just talk, alluded to the fact that there's something with the putting. There's something with, you know, the masters, you gotta be a great putter. So some courses demand you to be more of a, of a, of a putter. And then, then other statistics, uh, and so, you know, I think you were able to turn it on and get your putting game going. Um, you know, I want to just circle back to Jacksonville and your involvement in Florida with uh, your charity, as well as how you're involved with junior golf. Um, tell us a little bit about that, um, about the tournament you're doing and uh, your charity. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, over the years, I, I have a Lynn Matisse Foundation here in Jacksonville. So over the years, it's it's grown and grown and grown to now we have kind of two divisions going on at the same time. We have a on course and an off the course division of the foundation and the on course, we have events throughout the year that we raise money for the first tee here in Jacksonville. So the first tee of North Florida is very big. It covers over a hundred thousand kids in this whole area, seven different counties. Um, it's about a, 200 mile space of this first tee of North Florida. Mm-hmm. So we do events all throughout the year, uh, some nine hole events, some, uh, some bigger events, and we raise money for the first tee of North Florida. And it's a great thing. Like one thing that I've developed, uh, 
that I wanted to do is I wanted to bring the first tee kids to the clubs. So, you know, these kids never have access, you know, they, they might have access to one public course, you know, um, when they play, but I devised a system or a, an event where they're nine hole events. We go to the nicest clubs in Jacksonville all or all across North Florida. And we invite the members to be part of this day. So the, the members pay a hundred dollars to, to support and participate. It's a nine hole event. We bring the first tee kids with the members and we combine them and play a nine hole scramble. And then these kids, the, the members get to see the first tee, you know, they get to see what the first tee is all about. And the kids are great. Everybody knows if they've ever been around a first tee uh, facility, the kids are like little pros, you know, like little adult people, you know, they're, they're really great. And they're probably age seven to 18 years old. And they, they act like you would want kids to act. So the uh, really proud of what the first tee is doing. And then uh, the members get to see that. So, you know, hopefully then the members, they might mentor these kids. They might want to donate to the first tee as well, but we make it easy for the members. Uh, but the golf course then donates the, you know, the, the time. So we don't have to pay for that, for that fee. And so if we get 30 members that play, we, it's a $3,000 fundraiser. Wow. And we've done it 15 yeah. different, we've done it 17 times. So we've, we've raised close to $50,000 for the first tee. Uh, the money's great to raise, but now we're growing the awareness. So that's right. something that I've, de I've developed in the last three years. The, at the end of the year, we, we've, we've done a, a tournament that's very, very unique. It's called the Pro Junior Championship. And I ask, I go out and I ask all the pros that I know to come play for a day here in Jacksonville at TPC Sawgrass. And uh, we also invite the best juniors around the Southeast. So it's a two-person best ball, and a junior will get paired with a pro. And all these pros come from all the tours, Champions Tour, PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, Symmetra, Corn Ferry. That's amazing. Anybody that, yeah. anybody that I know or friends of, I, I ask and say, hey, can you come play this day? The pros yeah, but, love it. You know, the pros love it because it's fresh for them. You know, they're like, hey, I remember when I was 15 years old, and these kids are chomping at the bit to become, you know, the next Ricky Fowler. And they want to be the next pros. Uh, we have about we have about 40 of the pros that come play, and usually about 10 or 15 are women as well. So Good. we've had Brittany Linsacombe and Sandra Gal and Amelia Lewis. Uh, we we we've we've had great representative of of female golf. So, and then we we pair them with female golfers, you know, girl golfers, and it's a great experience. It's uh and and all the, all along through that process. We raise money for the first tee as well. It's a fundraiser as well. So um, a very unique event uh, that we're really happy to to have. We've now had for four years. So um, That sounds we, amazing. Uh, and what a way to uh, showcase the game to all these young kids and probably has an extremely positive impact on, on the upbringing of these kids. Just to absolutely. To, to, absolutely. To go to Sawgrass and, and compete and play with pros and see these clubs and i notice you have another initiative the stop the bullying campaign uh, as well the other division of the charity we sure do right and that's yeah. the non-golf that's the non-golf side these yeah. kids you know they they don't they they're not interested in golf they they don't do golf this is a non-golf thing that we do and we've done it now four years and it has grown and the county that i live in here in jacksonville is duval county so it's our city county and we have 30 middle schools here in the county. So right now we're inside all the middle schools doing stop the bullying um, contest, awareness, monthly initiatives that gets all these kids involved to where they they see that, hey, it's cool now not to bully. You know, it's cool to step up and lead and make the right choices and um, and do the right things in school. So we, uh, we wanna support that. Well, and, um, and so we're doing initiatives through, through the year, uh, to all these middle schools. And we feel like that, we feel like that, you know, age of about 11 to 15 is, is very, very important to where mm -hmm. we're trying to, we're trying to turn things around here in Jacksonville. So a lot of companies, a lot of companies, uh, they, they like to support that here in Jacksonville. So they will donate to the charity and all the money that all the money that, we raise from the first tee side goes back, you know, goes back to the first tee. 
like my foundation does not make any money on this. Like there's no, there's no management fees. There's no brick and mortar fees. That's not like, luckily for my career, I don't need that. Like I don't, you know, I don't want to take, receive money from some, some company and then take a percentage of it. That's not how we roll. So when companies want to donate to this stop the bullying campaign, a hundred percent goes back to the initiatives for the kids. So, um, we are right now doing scholarships for middle school kids, you know, like people, people usually don't do that. You know, it's some, something, but we have a hundred percent support of the superintendent here in Duval County and their office, their office has been great with us. So we kind of ask, Hey, can we do this for the kids? Can we get inside and do these initiatives? And they say, absolutely. And that, you know, they have their, their student conduct and they have their, their codes that they do but they realize the importance of, of that little extra help uh, to send the right messages to the kids. So, uh, you That's know, it, yeah. So we, you know what, it's like, it's, uh, it's important. And everybody knows either somebody who has been bullied or they have heard of a story of a friend of theirs that's been bullied. And some of these stories are very, very severe. Yeah. And uh, we're trying to turn that around here in Jacksonville and perhaps in here in Duval County, then we can, like, we, we, what we'd like to do is, is, is get to the next surrounding counties. You know, we have about three surrounding counties uh, from Duval County, and we'd like to do the same there. And, and I and think so the kids, so that's really amazing, because I think the kids these days are living in a very different world than when we grew up with bullying in all different shapes and forms. Uh, my 15-year-old, for example, you know, high school and social media and those type of things, you were seeing a different type of bullying as well. So addressing that is, I commend you for doing that. That's pretty amazing. You know, um, we'd love to come out there and uh, I'll get my kid to come out and play <laughs> with you guys in one of your tournaments maybe one day. Well, we're, we're planning to head out to Florida right now because things are getting very difficult here in Canada. But uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to flip the switch a little bit and ask you, maybe you've got a funny golf story you could share with us with a notable name, maybe a Tiger Woods or a Phil Mickelson, maybe an experience that you've had with, uh, with Jack or Arnie. Absolutely. Well, I've had experiences with all those who actually that all the, that you just mentioned, um, Tiger, a Tiger I played with when, when, when Tiger first turned pro, uh, that was fall of 96. I played with him at the Canadian open at Glen Abbey. I was paired with him the first two days and it was a great, it was a great, like I, I probably played with him. I probably been paired with him 10 different times through the years, but that was the first time I saw him. And, um, he shot, I think he was like three or four under through the, maybe four under through the two rounds. And he wasn't happy. You know, he felt like he probably left five or six shots out there. Right. So it was, it was definitely a different level of play. And he was hitting it 30, 40 yards past me at that time. Um, and just, you know, he could, you could just see how he could dominate par fives, you know, where, um, you know, in a round of say, if he had 16 par fives, you could see where he, he could be 16 under on the par fives, uh, just let alone. So you could see it coming, you know, and, and so that was, it, it was all, I beat him by one for the, for, for those two days. And he was not happy. You know, he was not happy when I made birdies. Um, there was no good shot. It was no nice birdie. It was nothing. There was no talk. And, uh, and that's okay. But uh, was he that, really that laser focused? Was he sort of antisocial in the fact that he was concentrating on his game when he was younger and I, didn't really speak to anybody? Absolutely. I mean, that's how he was with all the times I saw him in the groups, you know, like maybe if he was playing with Mark O'Meara, you know, it might be a little different or Chris Riley, who was a good buddy or noted a gay, but I think 99% of the people he was playing with, there was no talk. It was, I'm going to beat you bad. You <laughs> know, and it was, it was serious. It, yeah. it was serious. You know, his practice round started about five 30 in the morning. You know, where, you know, a lot of pros get there at 8, 8.30 to start their day. He was almost done at that time, you know, with his practice round. So he was that intense on trying to get always a little bit of an advantage, a little bit of edge, and uh, very serious, very intense. I played, now the same time, like that, that 93 to 96 was Phil Mickelson. Like Phil Mickelson came out around that same time. And 
Phil was just like, uh, you know, at that point, what is he? He's, he's about 22 years old. At that time, he was like 12 years old. You yeah. know, like he just wanted to, he wanted to play, you know, like he wanted to hit shots. Like we were trying to hit, hit our balls on the, on the range and trying to hit, hit the balls <laughs> in the air. You know, well, he looked a little I, silly and, with his comments and, you know, winning at the Tucson, putting the, the helmet on his head. And later on, calling himself an idiot for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and he just—he just was a—he's just a kid, and and that's what made him great. You know, it makes him great. He's a kid, and he loves to play. I remember being in a greenside bunker one time, and he's like, "Hey, let me see what you're doing." So he like, you know, he like you push the sand up, you know, and you put the ball right on top of the sand, and he try and make the biggest, highest swing, and trying to who can create the most spin, and it was. Um, you know, I had never encountered anybody like that as far as wanting to just kind of play little games within the game. And uh, that was fun to see. I actually like for, you know, how Jack, Jack hosts the Memorial yeah. at Muirfield. Mm -hmm. yeah. I play with Jack. Like I played with Jack and uh, fuzzy at the Memorial. So that was cool, amazing uh, to play with them the first two rounds. And, you know, Jack's all serious and, and uh, focused and fuzzy is fuzzy yeah. you know fuzzy yeah fuzzy is just a ball last and i've known fuzzy a long time so that was a unique pairing and then at arnie's tournament i actually got paired with arnie and rocco uh at the at the palmer invitational so wow. that was really cool to play get to play with two legends at their tournaments yeah yeah being at wake forest i got to know arnie really well over the years and uh right from my first my first year there, he, he played in, the, in, in our in our alumni pro-am. Uh, so right from day one, he was very, very gracious. And, you know, Arnie would always say this. After a little bit of chat, whatever it is, he would say, please let me know if there's anything I can ever do for you. Wow. And that's it was really that, nice. it was that's like right in your eyes, like looking right at you. And then he'd wait, he'd wait for about a second. And he'd go, okay. And That's he'd be, like, he'd be yeah. like, yeah, okay. He would <laughs> you know? really zone in and be there for everybody and make himself available to everybody. And, you know, you hear story after story about how great he was as a people person. And it, it went so much farther than golf. You know, he's, he's it's almost one of the players that have transcended golf. I know it's everybody says that's not possible, right? Golf, you know, you're, you're never bigger than the game. But for someone like Arnie and what he did for the game, and how he treated people, it, it, that goes such a long way. And he would stand and sign autographs until the, the, the sun was down and everyone's gone. So, you know, he really put his time into the fans, which was cool to see. And one thing I, I noticed, Len, was uh, you had an interesting run-in with uh, Bryson DeChambeau and you, you were hit by his ball. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's that's right. Just last year. I mean, at, at the players championship, yeah. I'm out with a friend of mine and, um, we're on the uh, seventh hole and we walked down halfway. So I'm like, you know, there's Bryson on the tee. So as, as they're hitting, you know, they had the volunteers behind the, the tee box with the big, you know, with the big stick. Thing. And if a player hits it straight, they go like that. And if a player hits it, well, the shambo hit it to the right. So I see this volunteer go, you know, like this. So yeah. I see the big sign. So I'm like, it's coming towards us. And we couldn't see because of the trees and stuff. So we all like back like that duck and it hits the cart path and it quick hops and hits me right in the back of the leg, like <laughs> right on a, right on a quick hop and it stung. Oh boy, did it sting. And, <laughs> oh, uh, and the ball bounced like friendly to, to the friendly rough side instead of the trees. So that was good for him. And then he ended up making a par on the hole. But, you know, I had my mask on and the glut and the eye. So it was not it was not anything recognizable. Someone's like, hey, you hit that guy. And he's like, are you OK? He was very nice. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no problem. So he ends up hitting an amazing shot onto the green. And then we're just walking up towards the next tee to get in position to, to watch him hit on eight, the par three. And he actually says to me, like, 50 yards down the way, he, he can't. So he, instead of him walking to the green, he walked this way down the cart path over on the other side of the pond to find me. Great. And he's like, hey, hey, are you the guy I hit? 
And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. No problem. He goes, no, here's a signed ball. So he actually went out of his way to give me a signed ball. And he didn't know who I was. And it, <laughs> it, 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 it was really good. Now, it just well, that's so real. That's a great story. Just so happenstance, we have a, a big, a huge fundraiser. Now, I think that was Thursday. Um, we have a huge foundation party that Friday night, like a mile down the road. And it's a big fundraiser. And we have a silent auction. And I'm like, this ball is going to be perfect for the silent <laughs> auction, you know? Oh, and because of due to COVID, we couldn't get anything signed in advance. I couldn't, I couldn't get in the locker room. I couldn't send stuff into the locker room. Uh, there was nothing that went into that locker room that wasn't players. So um, we were limited that way. And uh, that ball went perfect. So, you know, three or $400 worth of a fundraiser there. And I took it on the legs. So no problem. That's very cool. <laughs> so did Bryson actually realize it was you uh, after the fact? Or did he uh, get away with that not knowing? I don't know. I thought, I don't know. I don't think he ever realized it. And uh, I put it on Twitter, you know, and tagged them so uh maybe he saw it maybe he didn't i don't yeah. know but it was really good. funny what are the what are the odds right what yeah. what are the odds of that <laughs> well thanks for yeah, sharing no, that that's story great. that's pretty incredible <laughs> there's something that we do on here len called rapid fire questions uh we just started last week i'm gonna ask you just three simple questions so that our audience could get to know you a little bit better and uh they're simple questions not they don't have anything to do with golf so uh are you ready they're Ready. mostly going to be one-word answers, hopefully. But you could, uh, okay. you could do, you could do it differently. Okay, here we go. Your favorite food? Chicken fingers. Uh, favorite music? Do you have any favorite anything on your playlist or something? You style of music or band? Yeah, that you like? st st style would be just pop, just like uh, current pop music. Great. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? Anything you've binged recently? Anything that you watch? Um, no, not much. I'm not, I'm not a huge TV thing, but you know, like movies like, uh, I think I'm a Tom Hanks fan. So anything Tom Hanks, uh, I'm in. All right. And last question, your dream foursome. So if you could play with any player dead or alive, who would you want to play with on the, as your ultimate foursome? I always said uh, Bobby Jones. I would have always loved to have uh, played with Bob, met Bobby Jones and play golf with him. So he's definitely in there. I, I'm going to stay away from Hogan because he's too intimidating. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> stay away from that. But I know this sounds corny, but my dad was a great player and he's gone now. So probably put him in that group. And uh, my two brothers are pros as well. So maybe one of those guys comes in. Uh, but as far as like, Big time champions. Um, maybe even Francis we met way back wow. when. That's a good yeah. one. So I'd say those guys. I enjoy that movie, The Greatest Game Ever Played. Oh, you know, that's, that's that's a fun one to watch. Every time it's on TV, I get suckered into watching it again. Great movie. Yep. Mike, we're running on 48 minutes. Any uh, final thoughts for you or questions, Mike? Well, I'm always curious of injuries and, and you uh, having two significant knees you know, uh, injured at the same time. Uh, and I always wonder how uh, a, a pro of your level pulls through that, like mentally and physically and your mindset on, uh, uh, on, on staying uh, positive and, and whatnot. Cause uh, that's one of the hard things when you're dealing with an injury is, you know, getting away from the negative thoughts and, and you're not, you're away from the game. So how did you get through that? I only had one top 10 after that. So I had 25 top 10s before and one top 10 after that. So, um, my so career, don't, so don't ask. <laughs> no, my career had definitely changed and I fell off in a sense, I fell off the, the competitive map. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was, you know, like I knew my skills were going to be challenged because I had two torn ACLs, two torn MCLs, um, as well. So it was hard. And I came back too soon. I think that was the thing that, that uh, accelerated the difficulty is that I came back too soon and wanted to just kind of put it behind me when mm -hmm. my body was not ready. I could, I could barely walk and I made the cut at the, at the players championship. Um, that was wow. March of 04, but then it got steadily worse because I just had no, I had no, I had no legs. I had no frame uh, yeah. to swing with. So 
the skill I'm going to get be. You know, so I'm the same, the same guy. I never changed. Um, and you know, you have at that time I was ranked 50th in the world, 40th in the world at that point, and then I fell off the map. But I was not going to be a different person. So I tried my best and tried to come back. I tried to rehab. I rehabbed, you know, amazing stuff. But um, just the skills were not there uh, due to the kind of developing, kind of ingraining bad habits and having a weaker body. Uh, the skills weren't. And uh, I am proud about that. Yeah. Um, it was a freak accident. So what can you do? But that's kind of just the way it evolved, you know, in real time. You don't really know what's happening. You're just trying to make the best decisions and do the right things. And, uh, I mean, I played that year. I think I played uh, – I, I had the injury in December. And, you know, usually, right, when, when someone hears about an ACL tear, usually it's about an eight-month, one-year thing. And I was playing four months later. So um, A for effort, I guess, but just way too early. So I should have waited one year, at least one year, and then come back. That would have been 06. But it's hard, you know, like when you're playing 300 tour events in your life, it's hard to pass up, you know, 30 more. And I didn't want to do it. So I, I made my decisions and I'm good with it. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I can see that the competitive edge is going to force you to want to get back out there. And it's hard to to throttle that back, I would assume. And yeah, it so- did. Have you given up skiing or are you back on the slopes after that? I just went last week. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, I, I, I did actually, but I usually once a year, I'll go for two or three days, yeah. um, you know, with, with special, you know, loved ones or family or whatever. And, and just, I take it easy, you know, like, you know, you get in a car, you, you, you put yourself at risk, you know, you, yeah. You, yeah. you know, you, exactly. you do anything in life, you got to be careful. Yeah. So, but I, I, I like it. It's, uh, yeah, but one, usually once a year, I, or once every year of the year, I kind of get out there. I also like to dive into your experience at the Shaughnessy golf club, just cause it's just down the road from uh, where I'm sitting right now. And, and I know it, the way they set that course up with the rough was long is penalizing. We're playing at sea level here. So the ball doesn't go as far. And Stuart Appleby had some, uh, less than positive things to say about the setup and uh, but anything that sticks out in your mind about your experience there at the Canadian Open well it was a beautiful like I remember it a beautiful layout super tough the way I mean the rough was vicious tough mm-hmm. the greens I remember being rock hard and I if I remember right the greens are on the small side yes Do I remember that yeah they um, are those championships it was championship style you know it was uh I, I don't mind that, you know, like some guys think that when the greens get really, really firm, it becomes unfair. Uh, but I'm okay with that, you know, so uh, I really, I really loved it. And I love Vancouver. I love seeing, that was my first time seeing Vancouver. And um, I remember there was a, there was a town right outside of Vancouver. It was, I can't remember the town, but it was right on the water. It had like 40 different restaurants and bars and, and and stores it was a beautiful area maybe probably white rock white rock that yeah that's it and uh that was you know friends of mine took me there it was a great time so all around i, I loved it well that course plays extremely difficult for the members too I, i've played it about a dozen times and uh even the rough for the members is painfully thick and and extremely fast greens there's some of them you'll putt right off of it you know uh, so yeah it's uh, uh it was really cool to see it unfortunately do i remember uh do i remember the first hole is it normally a par five yes it's a par five yeah yeah and that that i think that week we played as a par four that's right and i just i couldn't believe you know like usually the first hole you're kind of you know, it's not extremely hard, but that I remember that hole being really hard because it's, uh, it's it was a demanding par four. Well, definitely, it's a very small green, as you mentioned before. That one in particular, very undulated, and I couldn't imagine going into it with a long iron because typically <laughs> it's a it's a two for me anyway. It's uh, it's three shots. You lay up and get a wedge in your hand, and then you get a chance of stopping it. And there's OB 
right behind that green. So you could easily bounce it through there into someone's backyard. Well, that's what I was doing. I was I was doing three shots and they get on the green and may, maybe make it for a park. There you go. <laughs> that's a good up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap things up here, we didn't cover anything that's happening right now on the PGA Tour. Your thoughts on the players and the level of playing, even college golf, Division One, Two, and Three golf is getting ridiculously amazing. And But if we go to the Farmers Insurance Open the next week, or this week, I should say, they're over at AT&T. Any best bets, you know, players that you like their game, whether they're playing in the Middle East or they're playing um, in the U.S., your thoughts on some of the hot players right now? It's incredibly competitive, and PGA Tour Golf is in a very good position. You know, like we, we would love and we hope, I, I hope that Tiger comes back and, um, is, is competitive. I, I mean, I root for tiger, um, and want him to, to, you know, to do still do great things, but, uh, just like this week, you know, John Rahm was up there. Uh, Will's Zalatoris was up there and Will is a wake forest guy. So I root for him, but, uh, you know, Jordan Spieth back in the mix and Justin Thomas and PJ tour golf is, is in a great position. And, the sponsorships are great. The purses are going up. So we're really fortunate to be able to, to be able to, to have that, that, that scene going on because, you know, a lot of people thought when Tiger would then kind of, you know, be off the map, you know, how would PJ tour golf be? And right now it's doing, it's doing amazing. So, um, you know, these young guys that are age 20 to 26 years old, I mean, they're, they're not only great golfers, but they're great people yeah. and they're yeah. great role models. So um, anybody can win, you know, like at Pebble Beach, any of the, any of that field of 145 players can win that tournament. So, I mean, just a couple of years ago, uh, Vaughn Taylor won right. and, you know, mm-hmm. Vaughn was, you know, by, by, you know, usually by standards kind of middle of the road uh, PGA tour pro, if there's such a thing and he ends up winning that tour event. So, um, anybody can win, but uh, those those young guys are exciting to watch. How about expansion in golf? We see uh, you know it's getting into the Middle East and Asia, and uh, you know there's some thoughts about you know, watering down the t- PGA Tour field and whatnot. But what wh- what are your thoughts on the direction golf's going on a global level? It's global. It already is. So yeah. you know, like the you know that tour that Greg Norman was behind. I mean you know, people throw enough money on it. Good for Jay Monahan to kind of stand up and say, anybody that plays a tournament of, in, on that tour will be banned from the PGA tour. Uh, he has to take a stance because he has to protect, he has to protect the brand of the PGA tour. So uh, I have a nephew that's 22 years old and, you know, he's just coming out of college. He's turned pro and he's trying to get to that corn Ferry tour. The corn Ferry tour, is by all means maybe maybe you know uh, i mean it's corn ferry tour the pathway to the pga tour it's 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 right there as you know right under the pga tour so it's uh maybe as competitive as the european tour and you know all these tours like in china and latin america central america i mean uh mckenzie tour you know if, if covid thing can die down a little bit you know um that mckenzie tour will be back up in canada and uh, it's all around the tour, so it's incredibly competitive, and uh, golf's just going to get better and better. Well, Len, we're just hitting on our one hour right now. I just want to give you a warm thanks from everybody in Canada. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this will get out there and people will get to know you a little bit more. Any final thoughts or words you'd like to share with us? Uh, maybe uh, thanks to the sponsors or anybody you're working with right now. Well, yeah, thanks. It, if you know, I'm grateful to, to, to be on with you guys and to talk golf. I mean, we all have, we all have, I think in common, the passion for the game. So it's great to kind of talk golf and talk about stories, learn from situations to learn from people. And that's all good stuff with my foundation. We have a big event that comes up in March and we kind of have it at the same time as the players championship uh, here. And if anybody ever wanted to donate it to donate to that, uh, to the foundation, they could look up lenmatisse.com, uh, check out the foundation link and our events, the Rolls Royce players party. So it's a very, uh, fun party. Uh, all the money we raise goes back to the stop the bullying campaign. 
And uh, if anybody's interested, they could donate that way and just check out the website. Um, otherwise, you know, for me, I'll be playing champions tour events, loving life. I mean, every day that goes by, I feel that I'm grateful to, to be able to live my life, you know, treat people the right way and to attack on the golf course. So privileged to do it and, uh, I'll keep doing it. Well, we're living vicariously through you, Len. So I look forward to seeing you, uh, have success on the champions tour and, uh, locking down, uh, full-time status. Thank you very much.